This segment is brought to you by Matt Bates for Movement Mortgage, NMLS number 844154. Movement Mortgage supports equal housing opportunity, NMLS number 39179, nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Oh yeah, good morning everybody. It is not Emilio Despirito, it is Mr. Gregory J. Rice from Nexus Property Management filling in today for my good buddy Emilio. And we're going to jump right into it this morning. We have our trusted, our loyal, our wonderful friend, Mr. Matt Bates from Movement Mortgage in today to talk to us about navigating these pesky high interest rates while you're trying to purchase your new home. Matt, good morning to you. Uh, good morning. Uh, good morning to you, too. And uh, good morning to everybody that's uh, listening to this to today's show. We're happy to have you. And yeah, um, uh interest rates they're 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 an important part of this of the process of, of buying a buying a house whether they're high or low they're there and uh i always like to address them right away um at the beginning just so that you know that, that's usually the most important pe- questions pe- that people have for me when getting pre-approved you know what's your rate how much are the closing costs um is this a good time to buy these these type of questions are pretty uh pretty much part of every conversation when it comes to meeting new people and trying to help them get squared away. So what is the biggest problem right now, right? So back in COVID rates were two, three, 4% and people were qualified for six, seven, $800,000 mortgages. Now they're probably, you know, half of that, right? As far as their pre-qual goes, what's, what's the pulse of the market? Yeah, so basically, you're exactly right. The the interest rate affects how much you qualify for. So when rates are low, when they are in the twos and the threes, people qualify for more money with the same type of income comparatively to now. Uh, right now, rates are in the high sixes, low sevens with with really great credit, and uh, and then it starts to go up there once the credit is not in an A plus position. So. Um, if you take the same borrower t- today's today's market um, and you put them back when rates were low with the same profile, just just a different time in the in the in the in, you know in different time in the uh, interest rate market, they would qualify for substantially less uh, more back then than they do now. So it's definitely impeding on how much people qualify for. And that's really important to uh, keep in mind because there's some folks that co- that apply and whether their FICO score needs a little bit of work to be done or, um, you know, they, they had to save up a little bit more money so that maybe they didn't finance all of the all of the 100% or most of the, the house. Um, it's important to keep in touch with the loan officer as customers are shopping over time. I have some folks that have been shopping for over a year and a half, just trying wow. to find a really great house, trying to make themselves in a better position. But it, it, it's it's really crazy how much a little improvement in the interest rate or uh, in your down the size of your down payment can get you into another tier of a pricing range. So maybe three hundred to three fifty, or three fifty to three uh, four hundred, or four hundred to four fifty. You know that usually it's in a twenty five to fifty thousand uh, dollar improvement or hindrance, depending on a couple of tweaks with the rate or um, you know down payment and things like that. So. Um, the important part is to so I have a couple of uh, points to 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 uh, say to go over for anybody that's that's uh, out there that's curious is that 
Uh, it's important to have a full application with the bank. Um, you know, really go over your entire for financial portfolio because there's a lot of different things that you know borrowing from a 401k company uh, from your from your 401k account uh, to put down on for a bigger down payment. Maybe they get you into a better loan program, or um, maybe there's an opportunity with a gift from a family member, um, or maybe you do have a, a, own a couple of homes, and maybe it's a good time to you know sell one of them and use the equity, the net proceeds that you that you receive from selling the house. So to have that entire conversation with your loan officer would be a, allow that loan officer to be able to navigate option A, op option B, option C, so that you as the homeowner isn't stuck with, you know, just what the, the loan that you thought you could get. And maybe it does open up other opportunities there. So that's number one is, is really open up and have have uh, a complete uh, conversation about the entire application and see, you know, what am I working with here? What can I improve on? Um, it allows to have that thorough. And then it also allows the loan officer to shop along with you, the, the, the customer. So if you go from house from A to B, you can see, okay, maybe the, because the property taxes are a little lower over here and this town for this house, I can qualify for maybe slightly more money in a, in a loan amount and you know you want to be shopping along with your real estate agent and your loan officer to see you know what's my threshold here and uh and you know that's a big part of my day is uh, running quotes for people and saying like hey i like one two three main street what's the highest i can go here to be able to allow myself to compete and uh you know be open to having those conversations with loan officer that's what we're here for um the uh the next thing is uh you, I, I focus on uh, your FICO score. I mean, in this high rate environment, you don't want to do anything to yourself, you, you, to your own application to be able to influence, negatively influence the interest rate. So you want to try to get to that A plus tier for your FICO score. And that's a 740 or higher for conventional financing. And that's a 680 or higher for government loans such as FHA, VA or USDA loans. Uh, those, so once you get into that top tier, you're, uh, in that A plus category to get an A plus rate, given whatever, you know, that is on the daily, the daily market. Um, and staying along with the loan officer as times change, because I've seen rates go as high as the high sevens and then back down to the high sixes all within the last 12 months. That's going to change a lot to your point, how much people qualify for. Um, so like, just because it's not great one day, doesn't mean it's not gonna get, gonna be a different conversation maybe next week or next month. So, you know, stay stay involved with the, you know, you know, the bank that you're working with, make sure that, you know, you're, you really know where you're at. Um, the the second the second point that or tip that I want to uh, put out there is uh, make sure you're reviewing all of your loan products that are available to you and maybe that's a different couple of different conversations with a couple of different banks to see what uh, mortgage companies and uh, credit unions and whatnot are offering. Uh, for example, there's uh, there's adjustable rate mortgages. There's a lot of banks out there that are, compete really well in that space and uh, they have some great products for adjustable rate that that helps with an initial uh, the initial rate is lower when you first close 
and it adjusts over time. So maybe as you're getting into this new home and acquiring new expenses and going through this life-changing event, you're not dealing with the highest rate on the market. You come in with a, you do want to be conscious that it will change in the future after you close. And maybe we plan for a refinance in the future. Um, there's also one, one, two, one, and three, two, one, uh, buy downs, which are great products. Um, in fact, if I was purchasing a home right now, I would definitely highly consider doing, doing that where you negotiate to sell a credit to help prepay the, you know, pay off the, a portion of the interest for the first one, two or three years. And mm -hmm. it really affords the homeowner a really uh, affordable payment right now. Um, okay. A couple of those going on. So those are great. And, um, you might think that you're a great FHA client or you might think that you're a good conventional uh, client or, you, hey, I, I heard conventional loans are better. So I, that's the one that I want to go with. What I, I always find it uh, enlightening to compare the two, option A versus option B, depending on what the customer is looking to purchase. And it's okay to have two different quotes and say, okay, what are the pros here? What are the cons here? Sometimes FHA is the better loan and sometimes conventional is the better loan. So don't just lead with one product, allow the bank to go over multiple products because that it will give you a, a much bigger, better picture when it comes to actually purchasing a home. And um, the third thing is, uh, Consider putting down a, a bigger down payment. Uh, I know that's a, it's tough to do because money doesn't grow on trees necessarily. So, like you know, some folks might have little, little, a little bit, a little down payment, which is okay. But that's you're financing a, almost one hundred percent of the house, so that payment is going to be the highest it's ever going to be when you're not putting down a good chunk of money. So. Okay, maybe I could go buy this house, but the payment is really high. Does it make sense to put on, get onto a savings plan and and start saving a, a allocated certain amount of money so that you don't have to finance almost one hundred percent of the house, and you do put down a little bit more money and you just plan a, a little bit further out for that? There's nothing wrong with that, and that's uh, uh, you know sometimes the case. So um, definitely consider that too before just rushing into a high high payment scenario. Yeah, but in in essence, Matt, most of us out there can't afford what we want, right? Most of us are looking at houses that are fixer-uppers or just totally gut jobs. What do these people have to do? They pretty much have to just sit and wait if they can't do any of these options that you've talked about, right? Yeah, um, sit and wait, but there are things like paying off debt if there's other debt that's inhibiting you from getting the loan amount that you want to purchase the house that you want. Um, sometimes it's just, okay, you know, it's going to take me two or three months to be able to attack this debt to get rid of this monthly payment. Maybe that adds another hundred grand to my financing availability. Hmm. Um, you know, everybody comes from all different walks of life and you're right. If you have a certain goal in mind uh, where you want to buy a certain type of house and you're just not quite there, there's nothing wrong with get pre-approved now what hey mr or mrs loan officer what's stopping me from getting to this type of house what do i need to do and it, maybe it is wait you know wait until rates come down or maybe it's hey i got a promotion coming up at work and this is generally what i'm looking at what you know what would i qualify for once i get there um more, more money obviously income obviously helps maybe it's a combination of both it's like while you're waiting for this promotion i could also be paying off debt so when that Happen, when the promotion happens, it's like a double a double improvement. Um, so um, you're right. You know, you got to get very realistic on 
what you currently qualify for and what you could qualify for with a little bit of improvement. And last thing before we go, what's your prediction as the election approaches? Do you think rates will get better, stay the same, or get worse? Quick answer. Get better. Good. I agree. I think they will get better towards the election for a variety of reasons. So, Matt, thank you very much. And if you have any questions for Matt, check him out on his website, drimortgageguy.com. Matt, thank you again. Thank you very much. Uh, see you next time. You got, everybody have a great week. All righty, folks, you're listening to News Radio 920 AM and 1047 FM. And next up, we have Melissa Delena from Delena Law. All right, everybody, we're back. We're back with Melissa Delena of Delena Law. And today, Melissa, we want to talk about the big D, divorce. Yes. How does divorce play into divesting of your properties or maybe you're purchasing a new property? I'd like you to maybe just jump in and tell us, for instance, or a recent example off the top of your mind, how does divorce impact property and owning it? question, Greg, and an awesome topic. And, you know, first and foremost, it's acknowledging that divorce does impact real estate transactions, right? I think that, you know, for all of our listeners out there who are thinking, well, I'm getting divorced, but I'm going to sell my property first. Slow down. It doesn't really work that way. Um, The reason being is because there's this concept of marital assets. So provided there was no prenuptial agreement amongst the parties, prior to the marriage or a postnuptial agreement during the marriage that specifically identifies the way assets are being divested, then you're sort of stuck looking at the state laws to determine how is this asset going to be handled. And if it's a marital asset, chances are it's going to be a 50-50 split. And if you owned it before, then the equity that has grown during the time of the marriage would also be subject to marital recapture. There's also, of course, marital debts that need to be handled and uh, other assets, alimony, child support, other factors that all play in. So a lot of times the real estate ends up being sort of the linchpin to figure out the way that all of this is going to be diversified or separated and dispersed amongst amongst those parties. So I think that it's really important when there is going to be a divorce situation to first recognize, okay, there's going to be an impact. Now what? Mm. So ultimately, with respect to divorce, and I've had it, Greg, I've got lots of examples to choose from, but I've had transactions where the parties are super agreeable. Uh, They've just decided for whatever reason they want to get divorced, and they've decided collectively amongst themselves before any divorce proceedings, let's sell the property, let's divide the money, and then we're just going to go through and get a quickie divorce because at that point, we don't have any marital assets. We've already taken the steps to divest ourselves of those marital assets because maybe they kept separate bank accounts. Maybe they're not worried about trying to gain um, ownership or interest in each other's uh, retirement accounts or other you know, holdings that they may have, money markets, um, stocks, bonds, that kind of things, because those are all subject to marital uh, distribution. So it really kind of depends on, I think, the individuals, if they're going to be able to try to sell first, divest themselves down to zero, and then just go through what's known as a nominal divorce, which is really quick. Uh, You still have to go through the whole proceeding with the cooling off period. But a lot of times in those instances, the folks won't even end up hiring counsel because it's so agreeable. Hmm. Not often. 
but it does happen. <laughs> you know, you probably have, have heard of divorce nightmares, right? As have I, where you're thinking, how the heck would that work? It's not for everybody, especially once you factor in kiddos, because kids end up having a pretty major impact on, I think, the way the relationship works of trying to manage the divorce. And it can get really ugly pretty quick. So what advice do you have to folks that maybe are living together now? They have some kids, like you mentioned, but neither spouse has anywhere to go. And this house is their only asset. What do you suggest to folks that are pretty much, you know, up against it as far as their financial situation? Again, that is a really hard situation, but one that we do deal with. And I think in large part, it's going to depend on whether or not the parties are in a good place. So, you know, certainly you're not in love anymore. You don't want to be together anymore. But is there a lot of anger? Is there a lot of emotion? Is it a toxic situation? If those are the cases that you're facing, your best bet is to basically just walk away from the the property and the party. You have to separate yourself from that, whether you go stay with a family member or a friend. Um, you know, it's it can be very volatile and it can be downright dangerous. So I think it really kind of depends on the overall circumstances. Now, assuming that you don't have any um, any risks, any major risks there, then I've definitely had parties where they've separated sort of within the domicile, right? So mom lives in one bedroom, dad lives in another bedroom, kids, you know, may or may not know what's going on. And then they decide, okay, well, we're going to sell the property and split the proceeds. But they have to be very clear with their respective divorce attorneys that, look, I need this money to go buy something or to go rent something because this is the extent of our financial liquidity. And I don't have the ability to move forward without the sale of this, you know, the proceeds from the sale of this property, which frankly, Greg, is one of the main issues I've been seeing recently. Um, probably the last handful of divorce transactions I've been involved in, the parties are not yet ready to decide how the money is being dis distributed. Mm -hmm. So we end up having the closing, but the proceeds are all held in escrow, which is the other way that it can happen, right? So the first option, the parties divest themselves first and then go through the quickie divorce. The second option is, you know, everybody comes to an agreement, we're going to sell and distribute at least the proceeds of the house right away because we need those to kind of move on to other things. And then the third is that this is kind of like your granddaddy, right? This is the bad right. one where there's too much animosity in the transaction within the parties. And the real estate transaction is just another piece of the puzzle, but it's right. not the whole enchilada. So in that case, you end up where the attorneys oftentimes are going to be fighting over this during the proceedings of, well, we've got all this money from the equity of the sale of the property that we're still sitting on. What do you want to do relative to child support? How do you want to handle this person's retirement account? You know, and honestly, it's all it's all pawns in the, the players of how they're going to be able to move forward and really separate themselves altogether as a married couple. Now, we've heard the term prenuptial agreement. Everybody knows that. But the lesser known one is a postnuptial agreement. Tell us about that and how that could impact divorce as well. So, I mean, a prenuptial agreement and a postnuptial agreement are fundamentally the same thing. It's a set of instructions that the parties agree to in advance of a divorce that contemplates what would happen if there was a divorce. So as we've been talking about, everything's distributed on average 50-50 unless the court deems otherwise. But in a case of a prenuptial agreement or a postnuptial agreement, 
postnuptial just means you're already married. Prenuptial means you signed it prior to the marriage, but it can be done in either case. Um, it's not a romantic conversation. I can assure <laughs> you that talking to your proposed loved one about, well, I love you, I want to marry you, but I don't really trust that you're going to try to steal all my stuff if we get divorced. So let's sign this prenuptial agreement. Maybe after the marriage, it's an easier conversation, but I think that it's almost harder. Like, well, now that we're married, you know, things aren't looking so great. So I want to make sure we put this agreement in place. But I've seen it done. It's not to say that it can't be done. But in either case, the prenuptial or postnuptial agreement would circumvent what the normal state law would say as to how the assets are going to be distributed because it's specific. So let's say, Greg, that you own a house and I own a house, right? The agreement would probably say, you keep your house in all equities, I keep my house in all equities. Or it could say something different, but it's whatever the parties come to as far as agreements. Yeah, I mean, at this point, you know, at, at my life, as far as what I own, my business interests, if I ever got married again, it's an absolute non-negotiable, I would need a prenuptial agreement. And I think that men out there should not be afraid to have this conversation because it's something that you've built, you've created before you've met this partner, and you need to protect it and preserve it as you move on. So guys, if you're listening out there, it's not going to end your relationship. Like Melissa said, it's not a romantic conversation, but it's one that needs to be had. And the same thing goes for a woman. There's plenty of women business owners out there that need to protect their assets. There's plenty of deadbeat guys out there that would try to go after that. So you need to protect yourself as a business owner, right, Melissa? And I mean, you really have to think about marriage as a business. Let's be honest. The downturn in divorce is, is not changing. We're looking at about a 50% chance. So you have to just be able to acknowledge, listen, I do love you. I want to be with you and marry you, but I've acquired all these assets prior to the relationship you know, God forbid something happens to me, I pass away. Sure, that's fine for you to take it. But well, not that if it's, you know, some sort of <laughs> malicious situation, but assuming natural causes, uh, you know, you want your spouse to have it. It's just you have to contemplate what if for some reason you end up the statistic where you are facing divorce, 50% of, you know, your friends and colleagues who are facing divorce. And now there's not been any instructions on how this property was supposed to otherwise be handled. And I, you know, this is a conversation, Greg, that I layer into a lot of transactions. I have one right now where there's um, a possible inheritance where my client wants to add their children to the title in advance of their mm. passing that, you know, this is the way that they want to handle it. They want to avoid probate. They want the children to be able to use the property. And they've decided they don't want to go the route of a trust. They would prefer to put a will in place now. But as I've identified with them, that will is now or is that excuse me, they're not going to put a will in place. They're going to just add them to the deed. So the way that's going to look is that those children are going to have access to that house immediately. And if God forbid they were ever facing a divorce subsequent to being added to the title of that deed, now the parent's mm. house is going to potentially be at issue. Even though we all know it's the parent's house, I just have a 25% interest in my parent's house because from an estate planning perspective, they wanted to avoid a will and put me on the deed during their lifetime. So, you know, I always say, listen, you're gonna have to have this hard conversation with your son or daughter that they need a prenuptial agreement, if for nothing else, to address that this particular property yep. is not subject to any kind of, um, you know, marital reach. Yeah, it's a if then, or if this, then that type of situation, that's tricky. Yeah. And, and, and the last thing before we go, um, you've been practicing law for how long now, Melissa? 
years. And over those years, from start to finish, have you seen a change in people's, uh, I guess, demeanor, their attention, their bedside manner when it comes to doing a transaction? Are people more feisty than they've ever been? Were they feistier in the beginning? Were they easier to work with back then when you started? What's your pulse on the way humans do business? Not just specific to divorce. It's just in general, right? Yeah, in general. Um, I would say that the demand of information exchange has hit an all-time rapid pace. You know, 19 years ago isn't that long, but it's long enough to recognize that our technological advancements are different. Um, I think that clients have come to expect better customer service as a general rule of thumb in mm -hmm. every aspect of our lives. I myself is no, no exception here. You know, I always want for information. I want it timely. I want it, you know, courteous. And I think that people, because they demand more and expect more, they're less tolerant when they're not getting it. So I think mm -hmm. as a general rule, I am finding that things are more difficult if people aren't getting what they're, they've come to expect, if that makes sense. 100%. And my point of that is, I agree with you, people are so demanding, they've lost courtesy and respect. And it's so easy to be nice. And frankly, things go quicker when you're nice. So everybody out there, don't put the fangs and the claws to us service professionals, we're doing our best each and every day. So again, Melissa, thank you so much. And check out Delena Law on the web. It's DelenaLaw.com. And that's D-E-L-L. -L. Don't forget the second L. E-N-A-Law.com. Thank you again, Melissa. Hey, thanks, everyone, for tuning in and listening. We appreciate it. All righty. And coming up next, we have Christian Vargas of Method Investment Group. He's a local real estate developer, and he's going to tell us about his ventures in Rhode Island. Oh, yeah, everybody. It's Greg Rice. We're back here. I'm going to be jumping on a solo segment right now. We might have a guest jumping on, Christian Vargas from Method Investment Group. He's a local developer. Uh, but I wanted to jump in right now and talk about the differences between residential and commercial loan underwriting. Okay, a lot of us out there, we've purchased residential homes to owner-occupy, but we've never purchased investment properties or even developed land, for example, like Christian does, or renovated properties that have needed entire gut jobs. So I just wanted to jump in and touch on this topic. So for most people, their first experience with mortgage underwriting is when they initially buy their primary residence, which is more often not, like I said, your single family home. The loan underwriting process and requirements are pretty straightforward and also pretty invasive. In short, usually your lender is collecting as much data as they can to assess whether or not you'll be a reliable borrower and how much you can afford. For a commercial loan, which you'll get for any rental or investment property, the requirements are usually much less stringent, and that's my ballpark. And uh, when it comes to rentals, it's all about whether or not the property can create income. So right now for my next guest here, I'm going to be bringing on Mr. Christian Vargas. He's the owner of Method Investment Group. They're out of Providence, Rhode Island, and he's been developing single families in Ocean State here for about three years now. So we want to get his take on how that's been as far as him for underwriting 
for rental and resale as well. Christian, what's it been like as far as financing these construction properties? You know, so as far as financing the construction properties, well, the first few houses that I built, first couple, they were for clients. So, you know, I wasn't using um, none of my money, um, but I got around a good mentor that taught me. And I basically came into partnership with him. And the way I was able to um, bring him value was social media. I got good at making videos and editing. So that's what I offered him. And we were able to 10x his business because of that. And so he taught me how to build and I taught him about social media and blew up his business. So that's how I learned how to build. It's a long backstory behind it. It wasn't that simple neither, you know, but um, every all the free time that I had, I just basically spent it with him. I was still working a 40 hour job. And um, so we gained some funds. And there was just one day where my boss told me, hey, listen, like, you know, um, he said, uh, you got to go to second. You got to go back to first shift. It was Friday wanted me to go back to first shift on Monday. And I was just like, you know what? You know, just like you have some news for me. I have some news for you. This is my two weeks. And so I just put in my two weeks. It was 2020, uh, coronavirus time too, which was a lot of uncertainty. But I just decided to just commit and cash out my 401k. Cash out my 401k, even though I took huge penalties and um, just maxed, um, you know, just had a little bit of money from a sale of a house, from a divorce. I just went all in on real estate, man. I just bought my first piece of land, which I got it very cheap, and I just flipped it, and I made a quick 100K. And so that's what really set me up to, um, you know, be able to continue building and stuff like that. So um, right now, currently, the way that we're funding them is completely different from the first way, from the first time, right? Like, back then, it was just like, all right, I'm going to put all my money into this. I don't know if it's going to work. You know, and um, even maxed out my credit cards, did what I had to do, you know, and literally just got a team behind me and they believed in me and uh, we just moved forward. But today, right now, the best way that I can tell anybody to get started is purchasing your first piece of land, um, whether it's um, cash. So it has to be cash so that you can then turn around and bring that to a bank or a private person. And then there's no other mortgage or lien holder on it. So they'll let you borrow the construction funds. You know what I mean? So you don't you won't have to put another down payment. You could use the land as collateral. Hmm. So if somebody has say uh, uh, you know a, a vacant parcel in Winsocket, for example, that could fit you know a couple of single families, and they own it outright, you're saying that that would be collateral in lieu of putting down a deposit. Correct. Yep. Wow. Interesting. So you can say, all right, I got this piece of land. I'm not going to give you any money, but you're going to fund my entire build project and then get paid at the end when we sell it. Correct. Yep. Yep. Because there is no other lien holder. So they would be in the first position of the land. So that's wow. what they want to be. So you know, that's why it's very important. Like if you own land, it's important to own it outright. But also, you know, there's people that buy a house, have a mortgage, right? And then they, it comes with an extra lot. You can build on that extra lot. However, you need a release of lien from the mortgage company. You have to have enough equity in your in your house currently to be able for them to release that parcel. And so it's not tied to the mortgage, you know. So it says even though you're paying its own taxes, you know, separate lots, you still have to go through that process to ensure because then no one else will let you borrow money on top of that, you know, right. it's tied to that mortgage. So. You have to create that release of lien. That's what it's called. It's 
not an easy thing to do, but it's not impossible. So if somebody has a property like this, would they contact you to help them facilitate that build? Is that your bread and butter or is that not something you do? You want to own your own land and develop your property on your own. How does your business model work? So right now, the way that our business model works is that we pretty much um, have been building for ourselves, you know, the, the past, you know, 13 houses. Um, however, we just recently we did take on two clients that wanted uh, for us to build for them. And, um, you know, it's going down a good route. I mean, the way that we look at it is like we know how to do this. You know, we can build up a, a structure construction only, no permits, five months. So it takes us five months to excavate, put in a foundation, frame it up, weather tight it, put a roof on it, um, and then do all the MEPs, mechanical electrical plumbing inside, um, and the finish work. So you know it takes us five months to build like a, a, a duplex. So wow. you know basically we're like, all right, we have this system down. There's people out there taking other people's money and not even finishing the project and all this stuff, you know. So. We're like, we got to do a service, you know, so we got to provide, you know, the service to people that actually want to build homes. We have a housing crisis right now. So either, you you know, I would love to buy the land, but if you don't want to sell it, then I'll help you build it. Interesting. And how about zoning? Have you had to deal with any zoning boards or changing use or are you dealing strictly with land? So really there's no or limited issues that you've had. So, um, yeah, I've had to deal with zoning. Um, they're very favorable with housing right now because of the whole housing crisis. There's even like a you know, crisis, um, housing crisis task force. So they're very prone for like more units. Like they're, they're, they're going to help you out through the process. Um, and so, yeah, there's a, you know, like the last project we just did over here on um, off of Hawkins, right in Providence. Um, we had an existing single family structure and it came with an extra lot. And what we did was we ripped off the roof off the single family and then we um, framed up another level and we actually gave this um, this house like a unique design. We gave it like a California style, like off roof, you know, so it's it's it was it was very nice build. Long story short, we converted that uh, single family into a multifamily and we also built on the lot next door and created a, a two family as well. And so this project right here, it's a, um, we broke ground February 1st, and we sold both of them, one of them two months ago, and the other one a month ago. Awesome. So you sell everything. Do you do any type of buy and hold? Do you do any rental management too? So we, base, we do have some buy and holds, um, but it was very difficult to get them. But as of this year, you know, because of the two-year um you know, tax returns and all that as a self-employed, that, that was my biggest hurdle. But now we're pretty much keeping everything. Um, we are selling some. It depends. We're trading up basically at this point. Yeah, that's that's the American way is just the 1031 exchange. I've done quite a few of them in the last couple of years. And it just makes sense because all that equity sitting on the table as your two family or as your three family is useless right now unless you sell and trade up, you're not going to refinance and take cash out. Right. Yep. yep. Exactly. So that's, that's a suggestion I have to folks out there is if you have a good chunk of equity, a couple hundred thousand and it's a two family or a three family, why not trade up and get a five family or a six family or buy something 
right? Like Christians building new construction. Why don't you buy something that's got a hundred year lifespan instead of buying a property that was built in 1920 or 1930? So I, I 100% love that. I love what you're doing. And also I had a question here. Um, I wanted to ask you, if you had any superpower for a day, what would it be and why? Oof. Well, I'll tell you this, the ability to teleport, man, because I would love to go to a beach right now, you know, but. <laughs> <laughs> you could still do that. <laughs> that. That's true. That's true. But um, I think that, um, you know, just the ability to, like, learn faster, I guess, you know, because learning is, is the key to all of this. This is the reason um, how I've been able to uh, get to this point, right? Just dedicated reading books, um, learning on YouTube. Uh, you know, surrounding yourself by people. And and um, I think that that's just the ability to learn faster. That's that's about it. Like, you know, because I'm telling you, like, um, edu- knowledge is money. You know, like, knowledge is, is is everything at this point. You know, and we, we live in, the, in a, such a day and age that literally it's all at our fingertips. Like, I've been using ChatGPT heavily for, like, two months now, and it's just a game changer literally like so um you know just ai you're like there's no stopping ai so you might as well use it to your advantage you know just it, it's it's insane so just use all the resources that you can be on the forefront of stuff and just continue uh, to learn and you know not thinking that you know it all you know you can't you have to remain humble uh, know where you came from know where you started and um just Man, if I had a superpower, I guess it would just be to, like, just help the most amount of people that I can. Right on. That's a great answer. And and the quick thing before we go to your point about the phone, we have access to more information than the president did in 1984. We have more access to information than the president did just 40 years ago. So keep that in mind. Stay humble. Believe in yourself, right? You said that. And have your mindset focused on providing value every day. Once again, Christian Vargas from Method Investment Group. Check him out on Instagram. And his handle is Method Invest. That's all one word. And you can see some of his projects and some of his outreach. He's a great guy. So, again, thank you very much, Christian. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. All right, folks. And next up we have Jennifer Jaber from R.I. Blogger. She's going to be telling us and going over the top five mid-September events. Oh, yeah, you know what that sound means. That means it's time for Jennifer Jaber from Rhode Island Blogger, and she's here today to tell us the top five mid-September events. Jen, what's going on? All kinds of things. I can't believe we're mid-September, but there's lots happening during the fall, the start of fall, I should say. Um. Thursday, September 14th, the Providence Animal Rescue League presents Lead Wise with Frank Veely um, at Machines with Magnets in Pawtucket from 7 to 9 p.m. Lee Wise is a singer-songwriter and an American Idol winner, and New England's Music Songwriter of the Year, Frank Veely, will open up the show. Um, all proceeds benefit the Providence Animal Rescue League, so it's definitely a great cause. Awesome show. Doors open at 6.30, and the show starts at 7.00. Um, this is one of my favorite events of the year. It happens right in the parking lot at Musquamacate Beach, but from September 15th to the 17th is the Musquamacate Fall Fest weekend. 
Um, the festival is great fun for all ages. It's a great way to welcome fall. And you're, like I said, right on the beach. It features food vendors, craft vendors, amusement rides, um, car shows, different performances, live music, and much more. And parking is free and close by. This is another favorite event, too. So you have to like squeeze in two festivals in one weekend, but it's worth it. September 16th to 17th is the Rhode Island Seafood Festival at India Point Park in Providence. Um, it's two solid days of local seafood, beverages, local artists, vendors, live music, and more. Again, that's the 16th and the 17th. So you do Fall Fest one day, Seafood Festival the next, make the great weekend. Um, Sunday, September 17th is the Proctoberfest from 12 to 6 at Proclamation Ale in Warwick. And they invite you to come and get weird with brats, soft pretzels, soggies, featured beer, bagpipes, um, and amazing performances by the Big Nazoo and the Providence Drum Troop. Troop. Um, it's family friendly and open to the public. And again, that's Sunday, September 17th. And last but not least, I've done some of these events. Um, Sunday, September 17th is the Harvest Pumpkins Painting Class from 2 to 4.30 with Paint and Vino in Pawtucket. Um, mm -hmm. With your seat reservation, you receive two complimentary beverages, which can be beer, wine, or soda. You enjoy the fun atmosphere. Um, all the supplies are also included, and you get to leave with an awesome fall painting. Interesting. Seafood Fest, the 16th and 17th. That sounds pretty good. And my question is to you, Jen, what's the the Rhode Island way to have a lobster roll? I've seen them you know, served in so many different fashions. What's the way that a true Rhode Islander eats a lobster roll? How is it prepared? Yeah. So that's a great question because I like the hot butter on the lobster roll. Yeah, I don't like same. the mayonnaise and all the stuff. So I'm a hot butter, but I don't know if that's truly Rhode Island fashion. But I feel like, I don't know, most people I know go hot butter. So toasted bun with a little butter on it, throw the yeah. lobster on, and then a little drawn butter on top. Yeah, exactly. That's how I eat it. All right, I'm glad we're on the same page. I will be going on the 16th and the 17th. How about that? Yeah, yep, I agree. Cool, Jen. And, and uh, your website, again, I always check it just to see what's going on. I, I check a few websites. I check Channel 12, Channel 10, and Rhode Island Blogger. How awesome is your website? What's going on right there? Any new features that you want to tell us about? Um, well, we're... Oh, sorry. Yeah, you go ahead. We're about to publish our fall fest, fall fun. I guess that includes festivals, apple picking, where to get local apple cider, um, just all the fall things. So that should be coming out very soon. So you can start planning for that. We also pretty soon will start putting out spooky Halloween events, which you know comes up pretty quickly, and you can find a lot of them too. So those are forthcoming. Um, articles that you'll be able to see. And there'll also be separate events calendar that just sorts through only fall things and then only Halloween things. So we love being able to do that. Yeah, that website has come a long way. It's very impressive over the years. And it's ri, as in Rhode Island, blogger.com, folks. So you should check that out. And if you see Jen out and about, tell her that you saw her on the Despirito Team radio show. Jen, thank you very much. As always, anything else before we go? Nope, just pop in, check the website, load your events, and uh, yeah, enjoy this upcoming fall season. All right, folks, thanks again to all of our wonderful guests today. We had Matt Bates, we had Melissa Delena, Christian Vargas, and last but certainly not least, Jennifer Jaber. So we want to thank you again to listening to the Despirito Team Radio Show. Thank you to Emilio and Angle and Volkers for letting me host. And once again, 
This is Gregory J. Rice from Nexus Property Management located in the bucket. Thanks again, folks, and we'll see you next week.